Well, it's very interesting when you know one of the most searched Bible verses in the top five for years on end. I'll share what that is here in just a moment. Let's start with Romans 12, 9, where Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. What he means here is that love and faith need to be sincere, need to be true, not something that's an act, not something that we put on a face when other people are watching, but we live differently when they are not. You know, Jesus had words for those who were hypocrites in Matthew 23 when he said, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? He defines what that life looks like when he says, next, you shut up the kingdom of heaven of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow others to enter in. So Jesus says hypocrisy, it not only impacts yourself, it impacts other people. And if somebody is fake and their love is not real, their faith is not real, it's not only their life that is influenced, it's the people around them. Love this quote here by Anthony DeMello. Spirituality means waking up. Most people, even though they don't know it, are asleep. They're born asleep. They live asleep. They marry in their sleep. People don't really want to be cured. What they want is relief. A cure is painful. Waking up is unpleasant. It is comfortable in bed. So sometimes, you know, we have to step outside that comfort zone. But here's the challenge. Like Tony Robbins says, if your peer group doesn't expect much, it's a matter of time before you lower your expectations of yourself. And so that's the challenge, again, that we want to make sure we're gathering together, whether it's, you know, online, it's on the radio or it's in person, influencing each other, you know, having peers in our life throughout the week, worshiping together with other believers, and that they hold us to a higher standard and that we influence other people to live with a different standard. And Paul says, let's begin by making sure that our love is sincere, our faith is sincere. I'll give you an example of some peers. You know, my wife and I, we sold our house just a few days ago. We had some property in Dayton. And we originally had a, a realtor that didn't do very well. So we ended up going with a friend that we had worked with before. And we worked hard to you know, get comparable prices on houses that matched ours. We did updates that were necessary, did the repairs that were necessary. And then we set the price, which was very fair. And other realtors came through with their clients and they would leave the written surveys. And some would say, hey, the house is priced just right. Others would say the house is priced too high. Some would say you should fix A, B, and C. Others say you should update X, Y, and Z. And so all these opinions by supposed experts and telling you what you should do. But we already knew. We were basing things on, on facts. We looked at the houses in the area, what they sold for. We knew what ours was worth. But opinions came through. And if we had listened to those opinions, we would have lost out on what we wanted to get for the house. So we didn't base it on the opinions. We based it on what was true and facts. And we sold it for the price that we were asking for. But again, people try to influence others. And sometimes they don't have you know, the best interest at heart for that other person. That's why we want to be sure that we are grounded in, in what is true in Christ and join with other believers who together we can work to bring change in the world. Agreeing here, love this quote, C.S. Lewis, who said, on the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint. And joining with other believers that know that victory is true, that's what makes a difference in the world, especially in this time. You know, the Lewis Awakening, it happened outside Scotland in the early 1950s. What happened, there were two sisters that began to pray because nobody went to church there. One was 82, the other was 84 and blind. They prayed for three months and they said after the end of three months, there was, you know, testimonies about what happened. There was a prayer meeting 
the sisters, some other believers there. One man got up. He read Psalm 24, which reads, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And this man lifted up his hands and said, O God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The people shared there that something happened there in that prayer meeting that night. When that man shared that, there was this power that you could know that the presence of God was there, the windows of heaven were opened, and revival began there. So what is that most searched Bible verse constantly in the top five? It's Romans 8.28, which we all know, I'm sure, which says, We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now think about where we are, you know, the, the chaos in the culture, there's the pandemic, there's the economy, there's the division, and people are searching online. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say all things are good, but God can take all things and use them for good. Why are people searching for this? Well, they're looking for purpose in the pain. People are searching and saying, isn't there something in the Bible that says God can take the worst of circumstances and turn them around? Isn't there something in Scripture where it says God can take my pain and use it for something grander than my own life? We're going to see some things about what Paul says in regards to going beyond you know, this idea when he says live in love without hypocrisy and what he calls us to do next. How we can be that light shining into the world and forcing that victory that says, listen, I can tell you on the back of Satan's neck, there is a nail-scarred footprint. He has been defeated. Interesting, when you look at Google search studies, when you do a Google search, you know, it brings up about 15, you know, results on a page. Here's the interesting thing, though. That first result on a page gets 31% of the clicks. The second drops to less than half. Only 14% of people click on that. The third one, only 10%. When you go all the way down to that 10th result, you know, the 10th showing up in the world, only 3% of people click on that. Interesting example of that, that famous idea that, you know, good is the enemy of great. To get to that number one result, those organizations, they are, you know, at an outstanding level to, to get the word out about what they offer. You know, the effort that we put in, though, we have to stop and say, what kind of effort do I put in to my growth in Christ, to my life, to my relationships? I love this here by Evan Roberts. He, he shared during the Welsh revival in 1904, here was this man, you know, he wanted to put outstanding effort into prayer. He began to pray, and for 13 years, he went to these different prayer meetings. And then in 1904, suddenly everything changed, and he shared he was at this prayer meeting, and there was just, you know, just this sense of God's presence, and he just knew God whispered to him, this is what you need. And what happened, there was revival born out of Evan Roberts and these other people's prayers. And what's that look like? You know, what happened, there was 100,000 people that came to Christ in nine months. But that's a great statement that he shares, you know, this is what you need. And maybe for us today, there's something that we'll share, uh, something that God is going to speak into your heart or my heart that says, you know what, this is what you need. And especially in a time such as this, that we can stop and say, listen, there are people out there, they are searching and saying, what does God do in the painful moments? And that we can come along and say, let me share about the light that can enter in, into the darkness found in Christ. Grant Boshockton shares this. This took place in northern China in 1932. I'll just read his words. In 1932, Norwegian missionary Maria Monson wondered what good her praying could do. 
She longed to see God's river of life flood spiritually dry China. She realized the mighty Yance River began when two tiny drops of rain came together in the top of the mountain. She sought a prayer partner who would join her in claiming the promise of Matthew. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done for them. When she finally found someone to pray with her, she exclaimed, the awakening has begun. Two of us have agreed. Scripture says that's what it takes. It is two or more to agree and say, listen, the problems in our culture, in the world, maybe in our own lives, let us agree how God is going to work that out. The victory in Jesus enforced by those who know him as Lord and Savior. So back to Romans 12, 9, here's the rest of that verse. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. He says next, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Some translations say hate what is evil. What does love that is sincere look like? Well, it holds fast to the good. It stands up for what is right, and it abhors what is evil. If we are faking it, it'll never sustain us. If our faith is just pretend or a Sunday morning thing or a face we put on, it won't change anything. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. All that fake stuff, it only impacts you. Not only impacts you, it impacts other people. Real love is based in truth in Christ. It's without hypocrisy. And true love abhors what is evil. And it holds fast to what is good. And we just have to stop and say, you know, maybe it's holding up our hands saying, God, is my heart pure? Are my hands clean? Do I abhor what is evil? Or am I going along to get along? You know, our culture is trading in, as Paul talked about Isaiah as well. People saying, you know, calling evil good and good evil. We need to have a much higher standard that's grounded in Christ. We all know this statement here, Ambrose Redmoon, who said, courage is not the absence of fear. Here's the second part of what he said, though. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment, something else is more important than fear. We all have the fears, again, of rejection and fears we won't be enough, we won't be loved, but there is something that's more important than our own fears. We can turn on the news, look at the, you know, the headlines, whatever it is, and see all the chaos, but we can stop and say, you know, with all that's happening, how do I expand? How do I grow? How do I contribute? How do I pray deeper? How do I live more in Christ so that his light shines even brighter in my life? Mark Prouse shares there's a gift in pain. He says, illness is the doctor to whom we pay most heed. To kindness, to knowledge, we make a promise only, but pain we obey. We can look at culture and say, you know what? It's obvious what's taking place. It's clear what the devil's doing. And instead of shrinking back in you know, fear, to step into that and say, listen, the devil's played his hand. We can see the chaos and pain and hurt he's causing. Now we see where he's working and we can pray and stand up for truth, abhor what is evil, our love be sincere. And in Christ, let our light shine by sharing with those in darkness. Let me tell you, there's a way out. There's one you can know because the promise, you'll know it as well. On the back of Satan's neck, there is a, a nail-pierced footprint. Alexander Soletsin, he went into a gulag in Russia as an atheist. 1939, there he met a man who was a believer, and he himself became a believer. 
testify about that the rest of his life. But he writes about one man who left the gulag. Think about this. Here's what he shared. One man was released after years of suffering behind the barbed wire. When the gates were opened and he walked into freedom, he stopped, turned back, and kissed the concrete wall. He cried grateful tears because it was there and all that horror and pain that he found Christ, new life, and true hope. doesn't get much darker than a gulag. And here's this man who found out even in the darkest place, the light still shines, and he was grateful for what he went through. That pain led him to true life in Christ. Here's another gentleman, Walter Sizaks. He was a missionary. He wanted to go to Russia in the, the late 1930s. He ended up going to Poland. When World War II started, he crossed over to Russia thinking it would be safer there than Poland. The Russians, though, thought he was a spy and arrested him. He could not convince them otherwise. He was put into prison, put into a gulag, and then put into solitary confinement for five years. Here's what he would write in a book. He titled it, He Leadeth Me, based on the, the well-known hymn. But he said, here's a lesson he learned in that pain. He said, between God and the soul, there are no insignificant moments. No matter how, how small something may seem in our life, there's nothing insignificant. There's these road maps that are, you know, these posts along the way that God is placing before you and me to point us to him. That our love be sincere. That our faith be strong, bigger than our fears. That we abhor things that are evil and stand up for what is right. Let me share something here. This is a, a fascinating thing about something in the life of Noah and then in the life of Job. Genesis 8, the, the flood has happened. The waters are receding. And we know this part here, but pay attention to the words. Genesis 8, starting verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he made in the ark. He sent out a raven, and it went to and fro until the water dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove. Now notice Job chapter 2, verse 2. Satan, of course, wants to torture and tempt Job, and he's going to appear in the court of heaven in Job 2. Remember the raven, what was it doing? It went to and fro. And now Job we read this. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. The raven went to and fro. Satan went to and fro. What is the picture being painted in Genesis? Well, the raven, it was an unclean bird. It was released and it went to and fro on the earth. The dove representing the spirit, we know, no release of dove, and it came back representing peace, salvation, most of all, the Holy Spirit. The raven and the story there in the ark, again, it represents what is unclean, what is sin, Satan himself, sent out of our life when we embrace the promise of Christ, remain safely in the ark of salvation. But here's the thing, just like the raven, Satan, went to and fro in Genesis and in Job, he still goes to and fro today. He's going to and fro to cause chaos wherever he can. 
It'll continue to cause chaos as long as people are asleep. And how do they become awake? Paul himself used that same terminology, awake from your slumber, O sleeper. How do people become awake? Well, by the living word that we speak, that we share, we witness to, that we live. Shining light into the darkness so that people can no longer be trapped by the enemy going to and fro to cause chaos, but they can be set free from that cycle and say, listen, I rest in the promise that on the back of Satan's neck, there is a nail-pierced footprint because there's victory in Christ. So let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Here's the challenge. Jim Rohn said it years ago. You must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstances, the season, or the wind, but you can change yourself. That is something you have charge of. And each of us can stop and say, maybe today I need to simply say, God, do I have clean hands? Do I have a clean heart? Maybe there's something that God is saying to you or me today. This is what you need. Maybe we have been living and our love has been hypocrisy. Our faith has been hypocrisy. And we need to say today, may it end at this moment. Maybe it's making some changes in how we live our day-to-day life. As Diane Landberg said it, whatever you can't fast from controls you. If we're not able to give up something, then that controls us. If we can't fast from it, it's in charge of our life. Maybe it's giving up something toxic. Maybe it's giving up, you know, things, you know, in our culture where people spend six hours a day on a smartphone, spending less time there, less time with social media, less time in toxic things like the the divisions and fights taking place in the culture and spending more time focusing on, on the things of God that we might be transformed and renewed in our thinking. Maybe it's fasting from fear and worry and saying, let me feast upon the promises of God. But you and I have to be the ones to say we have to take responsibility for our own life and the things that we can influence and do that where we raise our standards and don't allow other people, peers to influence us to lower that standard, find peers that hold us to a higher standard, and then we can help raise other people from a low standard in their life. You know, Travis Reed, he's a musician. And he shared that the challenge was his father left when he was very young and he had four fathers in four years. He was sure he thought maybe the one he could keep around because this man claimed to be a believer. And so he said, I'll ask him, would he baptize me? And he was 13 years old at this point. This man agreed to do the baptism. And uh, Travis Reed would share three days later, he beat up my mom. He left with another woman, never saw him again. So as you can imagine, Travis Reed had a lot of anger. He, he had a lot of depression. He said one man introduced him to Johnny Cash, and Johnny Cash actually was very kind to him, he said, and shook his hand, started to listen to Johnny Cash, you know, who wrote a lot about faith. He would share that he was just moved by different singers that talked about faith. He joined the army, but he ended up getting kicked out. And he would often, you know, just get around town and just get in fights with other people. But, you know, he was married, had a child, still living like this, not knowing how to be a dad himself. He shared that he was just lying in bed one day in Great Depression. And here's a great statement. And maybe this is something for you, for me. 
laying there in that depression and pain, he said, I felt God say to me clearly, give me 100%. You've never given me 100%. We often want to give God just the parts we don't want or the parts that are easy to give. And so we say, you know what, God, take this part, but I want to keep this for myself. Or we'll give a space to God in one area of life, but another place, you know, we live very differently because we want that to be our thing. And that is love that is hypocritical. For faith to be without hypocrisy, for love to be without hypocrisy, we have to be able to say, you know what, God, I want to give you 100%. You know, uh, Travis Reed, after that, you know, prayer, he got up, he began to read the book of Psalms. Next morning, he was driving, and he was just thinking about this. You've never given me 100%. He pulled over the car, began to cry. He gave his life to Christ there in the car, and he said, you know, just this relief and this just feeling of joy and peace. And he would share that he opened his eyes and just tears running down his face. And he didn't realize he'd pulled the car over right in front of all these houses. And he looked out the window and there was this person and she was watering her lawn. But he just thought, you know, it doesn't matter what somebody else is thinking right now. He found true life. And then he would write this. I was raised from the dead by the God of love. It's just that simple in a way I can't deny. I was dead now I'm alive because of union with my heavenly father I'm becoming less and less fatherless it's the truth at the heart of my being a husband and yes a father God wants you to know he loves you very much God is running toward you with a robe a ring and a party that's about all you need to know So again, maybe for us today, it's time to to give 100%. It's time to stop being impacted by Satan, the one who's simply going to and fro to cause havoc, but rather to stop and step back and say, listen, I take responsibility for my life. There's something more important than my fear. God knows exactly what I need, and sometimes in the pain There's a great lesson that he's trying to teach me. And the world out there is searching and saying, isn't there something in scripture where it tells us that God works for the good of those who love him and we can come along and say, yes, there is victory in Jesus. And he will give us clean hands and a clean heart. And we can live in the promise that on the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint.